trust flows with where God's been leading us this morning about worshipping in spirit and in truth. And uh, you know we've been on a se- this uh, series of, of, of worship and um, we've had a few definitions of what worship is. Obviously we've experienced something of that in this corporate time together. Um, but we've been reminded that worship is how we perfectly tick as human beings. We are objects of God's pleasure. We are created for worship. And the, the acts of worship we know isn't just singing and great anthems. And we also know, as we've heard over the, the weeks, it's not about a needy, bored, narcissistic God who just needs to be cheered up from time to time and told how wonderful he is. Although if that was the case, that would be his prerogative because he is the creator God. And we should be very carefully aware of that in all of our dealings with him. This interpersonal relationship we've got with God is a loving one. But you remember the prophets of old were fearful when they came into God's presence because they said he was like a, a, a raging fire. And that's the God who we serve and, and still have relationship with him, but in a different way today. But today I'd like to explore what is, it is to worship in spirit and in truth. And to challenge us a little bit to paint a picture of the act of worship being not just about the physical, the emotional, mental posture towards Abba, Father God, although it is in part, but to help us in our God-facing posture, worship is also about, work with me, an environment and an atmosphere. I'm not just talking about singing in the right key with goosebumps, that sort of atmosphere, but an atmosphere that frustratingly is not always tangible or discernible by our human senses or predicated by our natural circumstances. Good day, bad day. Scripture says, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now our worship, or rather our interaction with Abba, Father God, should be aided by our awareness that there is an unseen spiritual environment or dimension, if you will, in which God, as a spirit, also resides in, and being Cognizant aware of this and the fact that we aren't just flesh and blood, we are also spirits, reside in that same space as well as Christians. And it is critical, I would suggest, in all of our acts of worship. And us being aware or cognizant is a key word because we must also be aware of the rules of that dimension, that space which God also resides in. In other words, truth, the truth of that spiritual state and how it affects the natural world in which we live in. And it's those rules, that truth, which remains irrespective of what is happening in our day-to-day lives, irrespective of whether we feel great or whether we're depressed or whether things are fantastic, the rules of God's spiritual state, his environment, are not determined 
by the external stuff. It has its own truth and reality. So another way of viewing the title of, of my uh, conversation with you this morning is that those who wish to enter, encounter God must be, enter his dimension beyond the veil. If you think about your Old Testament scriptures, not just as flesh and blood, but as spiritual beings. And once there, we can encounter him, but be aware intelligently about the rules of God's space and bring them into the natural space in which we live our everyday lives. So, what is the big deal about worshipping in spirit and in truth? John chapter 4, verse 23 to 24 says this. But the hour is coming, and now here, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So as I've discussed, let's consider this space which God resides, this dimension, this other, this other reality where Abba Father God wants his creation, that's you and me, to experience him, which I hope will also help us effectively relate to life on earth, going to work tomorrow, going back home to a, a burnt Sunday roast, depends how long the service goes on for, to the bank statement that says, you couldn't close to the overdraft limit. How does our experience and awareness of that space affect those situations? Now what I would say is although when we have an act of worship in a corporate setting, it can touch the emotions and we can get feel great and high, which is not a bad thing. Because God made our emotions. But the key thing is, how are they ordered? Because sometimes they can lead us in a space and a place where we shouldn't be. Yeah? And although we are natural human beings living on earth, those natural circumstances shouldn't necessarily affect our access to that unseen place. Do you hear me? Because this realm, very frustratingly, is unseen. Right? I cannot see it with my natural eyes. And when God was on earth as the human Jesus, right, he would regularly frequent that unseen space. He would retreat from the crowds and go up yonder and peer into the space and see his and our heavenly father, Abba. See his business. See what he's doing and then come down from the mountain and act it in the here and now. And when he was in that space, I can imagine the Lord being wowed by what he saw. His acts of, of greatness, his, his divine plan. But also, what does Father God look like? 
And like so many others in scriptures who have encountered Abba, they are ushered into an amazed, worshipful response. Like the living creatures in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, scripture says, day and night, they never stop saying, holy. Holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Suddenly, I can imagine them having a different glimpse of how fantastic Almighty God is. And the response is, ah, holy. Wow, holy. Wow, holy. And worship, although it has rules, is not a, a ritual. But it's about us reflecting in many respects the worthiness of Abba and his precious son Jesus. Where we may not be saying holy, 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 but like we've said in this, this morning, way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Yes? Let me give you another picture. 2 Kings chapter 6. I'll read it out to you. From verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. And after conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. And the man of God sent word to the king of Israel and said, and gave him a warning. He says, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. And so the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. And time and time again, the prophet Elijah had warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. Now this enraged the king of Aram. And he summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which one of you is on the side of the king of Israel. I said, none of us, my Lord King. But one of his officers said, but Elisha, the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. And the report came back, he's in Dothan. And then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. And they went by night and surrounded the city. Now when the servant of the man of God, that's Gehazi, got up and went out early the next morning, he saw an army of horses and chariots surrounding the city. And he said, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? And Elisha the prophet says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the prophet prayed. He said this, Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Friends, this morning, we need our spiritual eyes opened. 
as many times the realm in which Jesus has prepared for us. It cannot be observed by telescopes or microscopes. And it can't be, even despite our inward groans or hunger, or Christian or non-Christian light, be accessed despite ongoing efforts by rituals or even solitude or fasting or any acts of penance. It cannot be experienced solely on emotional highs and lows. This worship environment I want to draw us to this morning is a space where Abba, Father God, wants his precious creation, that's you and me, to be aware of, where he himself is the very atmosphere in which we breathe. But unfortunately, for us, like Elisha's servant, it is not the everyday experience of many because of our over-reliance and understandably on our natural senses and our learned experience of how to live on this earth. But our prayer should be, particularly at times when we defer to the first report of the natural circumstances, it should be, open our eyes, Lord. Help us see what we cannot see. Help us see what you're doing behind the scenes. Help us see that you are not surprised by the events that we are standing in. And how do we do that? Well, I believe it is accessed through simple faith by those who have been transformed inwardly. Those who have a renewed spiritual anatomy. The Bible says we are new creatures. In other words, we are born again. And not just born again, but those who appreciate by faith that this new human condition has a supernatural, beyond natural existence. It is spirit. And what about spirit? Is this our spirit or God's spirit? Jesus' memorable statement in John chapter 3 helps us. It says, that, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. It is neither or, but both and. And for those who are the new creatures in Christ, and that's the majority, hopefully all of us here this morning, our spirit owes its existence and vibrancy to the spirit of God. And the writer John Piper said this, true worship comes only from spirits made alive and sensitive by the quickening of the spirit of God. God's spirit ignites and energizes our spirit. It informs our identity our relationship and our inheritance in God. Think about identity. If you are in Christ, what we call Christians, who have been born again, we are that new species, a new creation, no longer merely just Adamic human beings, but 
messianic beings, royal heavenly children, transformed from the inside out. And this is important to know, friends, because that also informs why and technically how we worship, right? We have direct access to God, a green card into the kingdom, which is naturally unseen, into the holy of holies. And I say unseen because it is not with natural eyes. And that's why when we close our eyes, I don't know if Michelle was closing her eyes this morning, but she saw something which is not naturally here. It was confirmed by Becky. Yeah? But closing our eyes does help us to disassociate ourselves just for a moment. This seeing, feeling, this environment. And folks, this isn't science fiction or uh, fantasy. If you're a, you know, we've got medical people, scientists who can tell you categorically about um, viruses and microbes, you can't see those things with your natural eyes, right? You'd need a device to, to go and see that. But you take it on good faith that they exist because someone who's gone before and has done the study has told you about it. Well, this morning, you have people who have gone before you, great heroes of the faith who've said, God exists also in the unseen realm. That there are things beyond the natural that we need to be aware of. And that God has rules that apply, yes, on earth. What laws in operation here? There are laws in the spiritual realm that we also need to be aware of. That in some respects circumvent the laws of the natural. And I will keep saying it over and over again, folks, is I do believe in a God of healing. Right? I'm, I'm sorry if that upsets folks because I know at times people are struggling with, with sickness. Right? I only can talk of my own experience. I was healed of asthma 20, probably 25 years ago, maybe longer. Chronic asthma. And not, my friends know that. And um, I won't go through all the nuances of, of, of how it happened. But what I do know is there are things of the spiritual realm which we can appropriate into the here and now. Right? And this isn't just name it and claim it stuff, right? I think we can have a more mature conversation than that. Is that this Christian life isn't just about living a good life and hanging on for glory, right? There are things which we can appropriate in the here and now, even with our frailty and our failings. God knows how much time I, I fail. But thank God I have someone in heaven who is an advocate between me and Father God, who is reminding me of who I am and who I is and what have I access to. Praise the Lord. May the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. We are triune beings, three parts. Our identity isn't just flesh and blood. We are body, soul, and spirit. Or if you like, spirit, soul, body. And it's an important consideration when we think about worshipping in spirit and in truth. Because it is our spirits that interact with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I was in Rome, my family, in, uh, in August. And uh, we went to the Vatican and went right into the, uh, uh, the Sistine Chapel where Michelangelo has done this, this beautiful uh, friezes of the history of, of man up to the point of, 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 Michael, of Michelangelo's experience and biblical accounts. And uh, this one is of, of God touching man, Adam. And however you read the, the, the Genesis creation account, it says that God fashioned from the substance of the earth a lifeless body and breathed a spirit into it, into the inanimate carcass, and thereby making a living, thinking, emotional soul. And that soul was, was the first Adam, the second being Jesus. And through Adam's spirit, he was able to interact with God in a special way, which is more than just an interaction of physical man and earth, and God reaching down from heaven. But I believe Adam was able to interact with Almighty God. Yes, beyond the flesh and blood, but spiritual. And perhaps it was if Adam existed not just on the earth, although he did, but he also existed in the space where God existed as a spirit. And that was the perfect harmony that God designed for his creation the harmony that Jesus has restored back for us. Perfect communion. And it is that descriptor, I think, is the best analogy of worship, that interaction between God and man. But that obviously changed when Adam rebelled and he died physically in his body, although not immediately, but decay came into his physical being, but he also died spiritually, and he was evicted from that special place of interaction with, with Abba. Now, we as Christians this morning, folks, I trust no one leaves this place with a doubt about whether they are in Christ and can proudly call themselves a Christian. But if you are, you have genetically become the children of God. You have a renewed spirit within you. And it is that part of your anatomy that recognizes that we are now God's children and we are literally born again. It is that within us that cries out, Abba, Daddy, Father God. And it is the medium by which the Holy Spirit connects us to him. And then, hopefully, hopefully, our soul that's our intellect, our emotions, and our body fall in line in that sequence, not the other way. And we can embrace him spiritually like the, the prodigal son in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the New Testament, despite our behavior on earth. Because we, in, even if, folks, we have a bad day, we kick the cat, we've maybe not had the prayer time that we wanted to do. Our inheritance hasn't changed, right? And that's the good news of this thing, because folks, if 
if some of you give me a bad look before you go out that door and have an unfortunate accident, God forbid, right? I'm telling you, that won't determine your eternal destiny, right? You've already done the business with God, or rather, he's already done the business for you, right? And you need to remember that. We have a glorious uh, inheritance with him. We are co-heirs with Christ, co-heirs of the unseen kingdom of God and all its mysteries. The prodigal coming to his senses, the scripture says, arose and came back to his father. And while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. While we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. Even before we'd even inclined ourselves toward him. This beautiful parable says that the father saw the son from a distance on his way towards him. And embraced him and kissed him. And he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and make merry for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to make merry. And this kingdom, this unseen kingdom, is ours by right as a true child of God. And it is our relentless worship which manifests its benefits. And I say relentless as it is ongoing and it's made real. Scripture tells us that we should ask and keep on asking, right? And it will be given. Seek. Don't just give up at the first hurdle or the, the circumstance which doesn't lend itself to the outcome. We keep on seeking. Why? Because it is ours by right. When we see what God has prepared for us, which is revealed in Scripture, which may be revealed through encouragement from friends who, who have gone on the journey slightly ahead. It may be through treasures that we've heard this morning about what God has for us. For everyone who receives, the one who seeks find, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I talked about the rules of the, the kingdom. Worshipping in spirit and in truth. Well, what is truth in relation to worship? That question, what is truth, was a question that Pontius Pilate asked of Jesus. And I'll just read a bit of the scripture that, where that is taken from in John uh, chapter 18. It says, Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas, the high priest, to the palace of the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, but now it was early morning and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man, Jesus? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. And Pilate says, take him yourself and judge him by your own law. They said, but we have no right to execute anyone. And this took place to fulfill what Jesus has said about the kind of death he was going to die. And Pilate then went back inside the palace and summoned Jesus and asked, 
Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? And listen to this, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. You're a king then, said Pilate. Jesus said, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. The truth of worship is that every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is true. And that can only be revealed seriously in our worship state. And that's not just Sunday morning service, but every day. Irrespective of what we're going through, irrespective of whether we feel like it or not, good time or bad time, it is a truth not determined by a natural day. However, folks, it doesn't ignore it. What do I mean? Let me introduce you again. I say again because I've spoken about it before. Something called the Stockdale Paradox. Now, the Stockdale Paradox is a concept that was popularized by the writer Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great. It was named after James Stockdale, the former vice president candidate, naval officer, and a Vietnam prisoner of war. And the main gist of the idea is that you need to balance realism with optimism. And in the most simplistic explanation of the paradox is that the idea of hoping for the best but acknowledging the worst. And Jim Collins found a perfect example of this in James Stockdale when he was held as a prisoner of a war in the Hotel Hanoi for a number of years. And he was the highest ranking naval officer in, uh, in the prisoner of war camp and he was tortured terribly. And during this horrific period, Stockdale was uh, terribly treated. And at some points, he had no reason to believe he'd make it out alive. And held in the clutches of the grim reality of this situation, he found a way to stay alive by embracing both the harshness of his situation, but with a balance of healthy optimism. And he said this, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. When Collins asked who didn't make it out of Vietnam, Stockdale replied, well, that was easy. It was the optimists. Oh, they were the ones that said we're gonna be out by Christmas, and then Christmas would come, and Christmas would go. And then they say, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving. And then it'd be Christmas again. And then they died of a broken heart. And Stockdale then added, and this is a very important lesson as I come to close, folks. You must never confuse faith that you'll prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts 
of your current reality, whatever they might be. Let me say that again. You must never confuse faith that you'll prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. And there are truths, folks, of the kingdom of God and its king, which we can access in our worship state, our everyday worship state, which can seem to be completely contrary to our natural experiences. Irrespective of that, they are still truths. Eternal life, provision, healing, hope, joy. But at the same time, we cannot be the type of Christian that pretends or numbs ourselves to the natural reality that is happening when Jesus was last with the whip, I can be pretty sure he wasn't just saying, la-di-da. He would have been screaming. And so it is with us. Jesus, but for Jesus, how did he cope with it? The joy set before him, he endured the cross. Whether it was Gethsemane or the abandonment of his disciples, the Lord saw the future. And what his act of suffering would do for everyone. And our joy, whatever that might be, can be found in our worship as God reveals to us the promises he has for us, which cannot necessarily just be seen in our day-to-day lives. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. A famous psalm, yes? And our Gethsemanes, those points of, of crisis, of, of, of strain, of almost hopelessness, they are our enemies. And worshipping, engaging with God, being aware, cognizant of the natural world and all its highs and lows, but being also aware that God also resides in an unseen kingdom and beckons us to spiritually engage with him taking comfort about the spiritual nourishment that he has prepared for us on his table and all the truths laid out for us, irrespective, but not ignoring what is going on around us.